心不太动，伤腹超过了，来照相。喂，黑黑人，黑人。This is what they felt like when it happened, and today, it's how we should feel too. Because what it meant for them, it means for us. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter to you all. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here. Happy Easter, Pastor Bob. Good to see you there. Caught you taking a swig. That's all right. So hope you are having a wonderful Easter morning. Glad that you've made us a part of your Easter Sunday. Um, we're going to do a message this week called Living Between the Two Trees. Uh, here at NBC, we like to talk a lot about trees, and so that's what we're going to focus on for our Easter theme this year, because the Bible actually talks a lot about trees. But first, let me ask you a question, and uh, we need some audience participation today, especially from uh, those of you who are a little younger who are with us. We're glad that you're here, uh, but we need your help. So true or false, here's a, a question to start things off. True or false, uh, how many of you would agree something is wrong with this world? How many of you would say True. Okay, Pastor Bob, what do you think? Yeah, true. All right, so true. I think most of us would agree something is wrong with this world. We just look around and we see all of the violence, the injustice, the, the disease. We see uh, road rage. We see uh, behavior on airplanes caught on iPhones that look a little bit more like an MMA match lately than a nice uh, fly out to Orlando. School board meetings now require a police presence. Uh, we, we turn on the news and we see uh, the terror happening in Ukraine. We, we, we see even in our own smaller circles. We see hatred, and we see pride, and we see selfish ambition. And uh, we can't even watch the Oscars without seeing physical assault. There's just uh, evidence for this statement being true as we look all around us. And we, we see these things, and we just say, this is not the way it was supposed to be. But even though this statement rings true to most of us, I, I think there's also a counterfactual uh, truth in that there's a lot of things as we look around in this world that are really wonderful as well. As we look around, there's some really spectacular, really almost miraculous things that are part of this world. We look around and we also see a lot of beauty. We also see a lot of wonder. We also see a lot of art and music and, and things that are just fantastic and majestic. And we see both beauty in this world and suffering in this world. We see both disorder and we see order. And we wonder, how exactly do we make sense of this world? What story would make sense of a world like this? Uh, well, the Christian story says that it all began with a tree. Uh, the first book in our Bible is called Genesis. And it says, God created the world and the world was very good. And he created man and woman and placed them in a garden. The garden was called Eden. And, and they were to partner with God in caring for this world. And the presence of the glory of the Almighty God walked with them in the cool of the day. 
And inside of this garden, there was a tree. Now, does anybody who's maybe a little younger in the audience, uh, does anybody remember the name of this tree that was in the Garden of Eden? Anybody raise your hand, you remember the name of this tree? Any, uh, maybe younger, I got, I got a friend in the back there. Can you come on up here? I think I see a hand, but the lights are on my face. So yeah, come on up here real quick. If you think you know the name of this tree, come on up and help us out. Hey, give my friend a hand as he comes up to the stage. All right, no pressure. Now, I know your name, but tell everybody else. What's your name? Aslan. Aslan, like Aslan the lion from Narnia. That's pretty awesome. All right, so no pressure, but there's a lot of people watching you right here today, and I'm putting <laughs> you on the spot, and so I'm kind of hoping you're going to get this, but, but um, you know, let, it's, it's okay. It's the age of grace if you don't, but do you, do you remember the name of this tree? Yes. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is. Hey, give Aslan a hand. <laughs> Nicely done. Don't go away. All right. Aslan, I need to hang a sign on this tree, man. Can you go over there and just kind of hook it on one of the branches so that the audience can see? Just try, kind of trying to get it there on that, that tree, if you could. Try not to let it fall off, and you don't fall off the stage while you're doing that. So there's the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Give Aslan a big hand for helping me out. Thank you, brother. You can have a seat. Thank you so much. And uh, God placed this tree in the garden, and God said you can eat from any of the trees in the garden, but there's this one tree uh, that you may not eat from, and it's your choice. Um, this tree, was, it wasn't magical, it wasn't poison. Uh, it, the only reason God said to refrain from eating from this one tree was because I said so, uh, because I'm God and you're not, and I have the right to rule. And this was a test. And we all know what happened. Our, our forefathers, Adam and Eve, they didn't want to submit to God's authority. Like us, they, they didn't want to submit to God's rule. And that's really the essence of what the Bible calls sin. The issue is, who's in charge? The issue is, who's the boss? We rejected God's authority in our lives. That's how it all began. But there was also another tree in the garden. Uh, there was a tree with a totally different name in the garden. And I wonder if there's any younger friends out there who might remember the name of the other tree. Can you help me out? All right, come on up. Give my little friend a hand as she comes, makes her way forward. Awesome. There was a second tree in the garden. And this tree had a different name to it. And we're going to uh, put this individual on the spot too. So welcome. What's your name? Eleanor. Eleanor, nice to have you with us today. Your, beautiful, your dress is beautiful. Happy Easter, Eleanor. So you think you know the answer to this question, Eleanor? I think so. You th okay, all right. So Eleanor, what was the name of the second tree in the Garden of Eden? The Tree of Life. Awesome. Eleanor knew it. Good job. Now, can you help me out? Can you just hang it on that other tree over there? And try not to fall off the stage. Like, yeah, very good. Just hang it on one of those branches so that everybody can see the name of the tree was the Tree of life. And this tree uh, was the tree that, let me give Eleanor a hand over here. Yes. Thank you, Miss Rachel. Awesome. Hey, give Eleanor a hand for helping us out. Thank you. This was the tree of life or eternal life. And what God did after sin came into the world was he exiled our great-great-grandparents outside of the garden to prevent them from eating the tree of life, which seems at first to be an act of judgment, and it was, but it was also an act of mercy. It was to prevent them from living forever in that fallen state. Because at that moment, after the fall, God knew that his first creation was not going to last forever. At that moment, the clock started ticking. 
And, and there we're told that there's coming a day in the future where there will be a, a new creation with peace and harmony, uh, but that doesn't come till later on in the story. The last book in the Bible is called the book of Revelation, and that tells the end of the story of humanity. At the end of the book, at the end of the Bible, there's this Garden of Eden-like city, and, and inside of that garden, in the middle of it all, once again, there's this tree, and it's the same exact tree. And this tree of life shows up at the end in this new creation. And in a sense, you and I are living in between these two realities. You and I are living now in between the trees. This is where we find ourselves. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we live as people living in between these two trees? Now, God is eternal. He lives outside of time. He existed before he created the Garden of Eden, and he's going to exist forever, eternally into the future, long after the new creation. And the time in between these two realities, in between these two trees is where you and I live. We live in between the trees, and we are a people in waiting. We are a people waiting for that city to come. Now, in the middle of these two trees, there was a third tree. In the middle of these two trees, there was another tree, and it's this tree that shows us how to get there, and we'll talk about that in our message today. So that's the theme for this morning, and you'll see three different parts to our message. We're going to talk about first the tree of rejection, then we'll talk about the tree of redemption, and then we will talk about the tree of restoration. That's our focus this morning. That's where we're headed. Pastor Bob, tell us a little bit more about that first tree, the tree of rejection. All right, well, thank you, Pastor Dave. What a wonderful overview of the biblical story and how the tree imagery is woven through uh, the scriptures. Indeed, the Bible itself is a story, and it's one that's worth repeating, even if you've heard it before. And so we like to take the rest of our time today to unpack, to kind of dig into each element of that biblical narrative, specifically looking at the trees. So the tree of rejection, where we're going to start today, is prominent in the opening chapters of the Bible in the Garden of Eden. And the first part of the biblical story is creation. In the beginning, God created. He spoke the universe into existence. He made day and night. He made oceans and land. He made the animals. And finally, he creates human beings. Look at what it says in Genesis 2, uh, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Now, the crowning jewel of God's creation is what? It's us. He forms from the earth. He, he puts um, his very breath in us. He makes us alive, which is just amazing to me, right, that God makes us. And Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells us that God made us in his image, meaning that we have responsibilities here on earth. We are, we are to rule. We are to be God's representatives here in the world, which brings us to the tree, or more precisely, the two trees, as we mentioned. Trees thrive in gardens, and that's where God places humanity. Look at verse 8. It says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Now, the garden was, was a place where Adam and Eve, his wife, intimately experienced God's presence. They were made for communion with him. And so God sets a boundary, and he gives them a choice. Verse 9 says this, very important verse. It says, the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
So just to recap, if you're following along, here's how the beginning of the story goes. God creates the world. God creates humanity. He breathes life into our ancestors, Adam and Eve, out of love and desire for relationship. He places them in this beautiful garden with all they could ever need, and then he highlights these two trees. Now, what's interesting about these two trees is they were likely side by side in the garden. So even though the tree of life comes back in Revelation, it actually begins all the way back in Genesis next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's these two trees at the center. There's a bunch of trees that are around in the garden, but these these two trees become prominent in the beginning of the narrative in Genesis. So when I say the tree of rejection, I'm talking about that tree of the knowledge of good and evil because that's how rejection of God comes into the world. The text tells us, again, all these sorts of trees are in the garden, but it's these two trees that capture our attention. They stand out. Now let's talk about how the two trees are different. First, there is the tree of life. And the tree of life is the one that gives everlasting life. Because it is called the tree of life, it's the source of life in the garden. If you eat of its fruit, it offers continued life. It's, it's actually a gift from God himself. It offers us everything we could need for a full, vibrant life. Now, let me ask you something this morning. What does it mean to have a vibrant, full life, a full, vibrant life? Because I think that's a question many people are asking, whether you're here today or watching at home, whether you're a Christian or not. We're asking this question. What does it mean to have a full, vibrant life? Now, in recent months, I've actually come across a number of articles that have stated that the mental health of Americans has taken a a nosedive both during and after the pandemic. Rates of suicide and depression and anxiety, they're through the roof. In fact, I just heard last night they're testing eight-year-olds for anxiety. Life, why is that? Life doesn't feel worth living. We've lost connection to this tree of life. Now, what's also interesting, if you fast forward to the Newer Testament, we find in in the Gospel of John a really interesting record of Jesus' words in the 10th chapter of that Gospel. Jesus is using a metaphor in this context, and he says says this. He says, he is the door. Those who know him can go through it. Jesus says, if you come to me, I will show you the way to peace. More than that, he says this. He says, I came. The reason I came is that you could have life and have it abundantly. Whoa. Now, I don't want you to miss what Jesus is saying here because he's saying something very profound. He's saying the very reason he came is to provide us this full, vibrant life that can only be found in him. In other words, just like the tree in the garden provided all that we need, all that Adam and Eve needed, Jesus provides for all of our needs. Now, I don't know how many of you, your parents out there, but if you are, you know that there is nothing like witnessing the birth of a child. And when a child is born, a parent, as a parent, you have at least two things running through your mind. First, I have great hopes and dreams for my child. And then secondly, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. Right? These two things happen simultaneously at the birth. Now, I have three children, and I love them all. Our youngest was born in October, quite unexpectedly. Maybe some of you have experienced that as well. Um, We've named each of our children very uh, strategically because we prayed and thought long and hard about the meaning of their names. And we chose to give our youngest the name Zoe, which is the Greek word for life. More specifically, it is the word used to point people to eternal life. And that's the word that's used in John chapter 10, verse 10. Zoe has been a blessing to our family, and our hope and prayer is that she would find the abundant eternal life that Jesus offers, that she would choose the fruit that comes from the tree of life. 
But if you're a parent, you also know that at some point your children will grow up and they'll have to make their own decisions. And that gets us to that second tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This is the tree that leads to rejection. And so as you can see, the tree comes with a warning label. Look at what God says in Genesis 2, 16. He says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Now remember, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are standing side by side in the garden. But God says you can eat from this one, just don't eat from this one. And this section of Genesis has sparked endless debates through the centuries, because right now you might even be objecting, saying, why would God say I can eat from one tree and not the other? Why would God not want us to have knowledge? Isn't knowledge good? Why would God put something in the garden that we could not have? Who is this God? Well, what's also interesting, I think, is that as the Genesis narrative progresses, this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, actually becomes the preeminent tree. From here on out, it is simply referred to as the tree. Why? Because with this tree requires decision on the part of humans. Will they eat the fruit that God has forbidden? And eating that fruit uh, of that tree opens their minds to the reality of good and evil. It's a knowledge that only God had previously. Now, humans have to make regular decisions about what is good and what is evil. And again, you might be asking, why is that bad? Doesn't knowledge lead to human advancement? Isn't that good? Well, I want to make three brief observations before we move on. The first is this. Um, I think the key to the story is not that Adam and Eve uh, acquired this knowledge. The problem is that they obtained it through disobedience. They broke God's command. In fact, later in the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, we learn that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And so Adam and Eve sought to achieve this independent of God. That was the problem. Second, there is knowledge that only God possesses. And so for us to seek knowledge would, in a sense, be attempting to overthrow God and to take his place. It's a rejection, as Dave said, of his rule and authority in our lives. And then finally, the type of knowledge that you have matters. So if again, if you fast forward to the New Testament, the Greek word for knowledge is the Greek word gnosko. And in fact, there was a group of teachers who had anti-biblical ideas about the material world and, who's, and, who, and who arose during the first century. And much of the New Testament letters were written to combat this, combat this group called the Gnostics, which comes from the word for knowledge. The early church battled them because they were putting forth false ideas about who Jesus was and what he did, which led people astray from the gospel. They taught the wrong kind of knowledge. And the same thing happens today. right? People see what's wrong in the world, as we asked at the beginning, and we think the way to solve everything is through education, through more knowledge. And that's what the serpent promised Adam and Eve in the garden. What did he say? He said, eat this fruit and you're going to be like God. You're going to know more. Even if you're not a Christian here today, you probably know how the story goes. Adam and Eve eat the apple, eat the fruit, eat the fruit. By this action, they reject God's command and their eyes are opened. Sin enters the world. Because they actively eat from the tree of knowledge, what they do is they passively reject the tree of life. And so the tree of life recedes into the background of the story and the tree of knowledge of good and evil becomes prominent. This is how the story goes. And this becomes the tree of rejection. 
This tree of rejection shattered humanity's relationship with God and caused them to leave this perfect garden paradise, which gets us to the second part of the biblical story, or what theologians call the fall of humanity. Well, now you may say, oh, that's a pretty depressing story. And I, and I would agree with you if that was the end. But there is more. In fact, the entire rest of the Bible, from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation 22, is, is a story about God doing something about this rejection. It's about God choosing a people for himself. It's about him pursuing his people out of love, even to the point of him coming to earth himself and experiencing rejection for us. More about that in just a moment. On Easter Sunday, today, it's a story about him rising from the dead to show that sin and hell and death and Satan no longer have power. It's a story of God offering abundant life to his people. And for some of us in the audience, this may be the only time you've watched or you've been to church all year. And so I just want to simply ask you, do you want an abundant, vibrant life? Life. And if you do, ask a second question. Which tree are you eating from? The tree of life or the tree of knowledge which led to rejection of God? And that's an important question. It's important because the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve is still at work today. Remember in John 10, Jesus said that he came to give a full vibrant life, but right before that he says this. He says there's a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy There's a thief, he says. There's an enemy who's trying to rob you of this full life. There's an enemy who seeks to break into your heart and kill your joy and steal your faith and destroy your passion. Can you feel that in your life? It's the very story woven throughout the scriptures, and we experience it today. Now, how does the thief attack? He attacks by bringing pain into your life, suffering and discord and war and depression and anxiety, these are all effects of the fall in our lives. And those realities lead people to question whether God is good or not. When they hit your life, and they will if they haven't, you have a choice. Will you eat from the tree of life, or will you run to the tree of knowledge that led to rejection? Easter Sunday is about life. It's about new, resurrected life. Jesus says, I've come to give what? I've come to give life, accept me. Eat the fruit of everlasting life. Don't reject me. Now, I mentioned earlier that I have three children. Our oldest is Jenna. Some of you know her. Our youngest is Zoe. But our middle child, his name is Josiah, and many of you also know about him too. For those of you who don't, I just want to maybe tell you a bit about our story. Our story is that he was born with an unknown genetic condition. This manifested itself in some physical abnormalities as well as a bone marrow failure condition. And last year, he actually required going in for a bone marrow transplant to save his life. And we were originally told he was going to be there four to six weeks, but he was there for almost a year. And during that time, my wife, Amanda, and I watched him go through chemotherapy and multiple surgeries, many sleepless nights as we watched him endure a lot of pain. And what we learned during that time was that this is, this is, reality, this is the reality of living in a fallen world. The tree of knowledge that led to rejection of God's good gift in the garden, it brought sin's effects into the world. And that's not just like you disobey rules. The pain that you experience, that's a result of the shattering effects of this rejection. Now the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's reality. 
But it's in the midst of that reality that we have a choice of which fruit to eat. We have a choice to trust God or not trust him. Now, you've likely not been through what my family and I have been through, but you've been through something. You felt the effects of the fall in your life in some way, and it's produced in you this longing for for redemption. And that's the next part of the story, and it gets us to the middle tree, which Pastor Dave will tell us about. We've been praying for Pastor Bob and for his family through this ordeal and watching him uh, choose to trust God through that, and thank you for showing us what that looks like. Uh, Pastor Bob, uh, he told that story this morning because maybe some of you can relate to that, that there is brokenness in this world. There is physical brokenness that is heartbreaking. Um, But maybe some of you can't really relate to that exactly. But the reason why we included it as part of the Easter message is because it actually is super relatable to all of us in one sense. All of us have some sort of brokenness. Some of us, it's very visible, very obvious, very external. But I believe we pretty much all have brokenness. It's just some of ours may be more invisible. In our stories, if we're honest, we've got stuff that's not right, stuff that's not okay, issues of all kinds, invisible brokenness, all sorts of problems, pressures, stresses, anxieties, depressions. We've had things happen to us, and we've also made choices that we regret, things in our lives where we wish we could go back, change, rearrange, and do all over again if we could, but we can't. This world is broken, and there are effects of sin all around us. Some of us have had the effects of sin thrust upon us, and all of us have in some sense made choices Uh, that have produced sinful behaviors. And so now we have guilt and we have shame and there is all sorts of brokenness in this world. If we ask ourselves that question, what is wrong with the world? We could be honest like G.K. Chesterton who once said, what's wrong with the world? I am what's wrong with the world. There's something also broken inside of me. Which brings us to that second tree. The need for that second tree, the the second tree is the tree of redemption. Now, let me just tell you about one section of the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy, God gave his people the law, and he said, do this, you'll be blessed, don't do that, uh, or you'll be cursed. And there were certain laws that if you broke them, they would entail the death penalty, very serious crimes. But there was one kind of death penalty that was the worst way to die, and that was to be hung on a tree. Uh, This is the way Moses said it in Deuteronomy chapter 21. He says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, a hanged man is cursed by God. Now, this is a little bit gruesome, but the purpose here was public shame for what they had done in order to deter crime in the future. And so the point was, a dead body hanging from a tree was a sign of being utterly cursed, cursed by man and also cursed by God himself. It was the worst thing possible to die in this way. And this is what makes the work of our Lord Jesus so mysterious and so powerful in the first century. This is why that third tree is so spectacular. And of course, what I'm talking about here is the tree that's in a perfect shape of a cross. Have you ever thought about the fact that a cross is just a tree that's been stripped of all of its branches, of all of its leaves, 
and all of its fruit. Have you ever thought about the fact that a cross is actually just a tree? Think of this. Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, the one who created this tree, the one who created the people who would hang him on that tree, is hanging on this tree. Why would he do this? This is what the Apostle Paul is wrestling with as he writes the book of Galatians, and he talks about Jesus hanging on a tree, this fruitlessness, this curse, this death, the Savior of the world hanging on a tree. Let me quote Tim Keller on this in that book, Hope in Times of Fear. Here's how Keller says it. He says, the founders of the other great world religions died peacefully, surrounded by their followers and the knowledge that their movement was growing. In contrast, Jesus, our founder, died in disgrace, betrayed, denied, and abandoned by everyone, even his father. Out of all of the kinds of death that he could have experienced in the sovereign plan of God, this is the form of death that he chose to die, death on a tree. So the Apostle Paul gets very excited about this image in Galatians chapter 3 and says this is what was happening. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is saying? Do you see what he is saying has happened there on the cross? He's saying this was an exchange. Something happened for us, in our place, for our sins. There was an exchange in the spiritual realm between the curse and the blessing. And Jesus became a curse for us in our place. Now, what does that exactly mean? He became a curse for us only in one sense. Jesus was being treated as if he had committed every sin that would ever be committed by every person who would ever believe, though in fact he had committed none of them. Hanging on the cross, Jesus Christ was holy, harmless, undefiled. Hanging on the cross, he was the spotless lamb without defect. Hanging on the cross, he was never for a split second a sinner. He was holy God to the end. He was hanging on the cross, innocent of all the accusations. But God the Father is treating him, if I could put it this way, as if he lived my life. Notice this phrase, for us. God is allowing the curse to fall on his son for us in our place. And then he turns around after treating Jesus as if he's us. He treats me as if I lived his life. This is the great exchange. This is the great substitution that happened on a tree. And what that means is because of the tree of redemption, you can be completely forgiven. You can be covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ if you place your faith in him so that when he looks at the cross, he sees you. And then when he looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. This is why we call this tree the tree of redemption. The word redemption just simply means to purchase. To redeem something was to buy it. Uh, Elon Musk might buy Twitter. To, to redeem something is to buy it, to purchase it, to 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 pay for something. That's what's happening here on the cross. Jesus is making a payment. Uh, have you ever paid off a debt? I, I remember years ago when we paid off our car. What, what a great day. The last payment. All right. We're debt-free now. Have you ever paid off a credit card? Some of you maybe you've even paid off your house. How does that feel to, to make a full payment on all of your debt? Pretty exciting, right? Right here on the cross. Jesus Christ is paying the greatest debt in all of the world, the debt of sin, and he's paying it on your behalf. This is the cross of redemption, so that all that is ours became his, and all that is his became ours. That's the tree of redemption. Why did he do this? He did this because of love. 
He did this because of his heart of mercy. He did this because of his heart of grace. Our God's love knows no end. There is nothing as high and deep and long and wide as the love of God in Christ Jesus for you. Our God loves his people. If you've never accepted that love from God, today would be a wonderful day to do that. We'll give you the opportunity to do that at the end of today's message. But that is not the end of the story. In fact, the Apostle Paul goes on to teach what happened next in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised according to the Scriptures. This is the good news of Easter. This is the good news of Resurrection Sunday. This is the good news that we're gathered to sing about and worship the Lord Jesus about. We have this one universal problem that he has solved. Everybody has this problem. It's the problem of death. Everybody dies. Statistics say that I'm going to die someday and that so are you. And this creates anxiety for us. This creates fear for us. This creates a fear of death. And it's a universal fear. Now, some people try to deal with this fear by minimizing it. Some people try to deal with this fear by ignoring it. Some people put their head in the sand and they just pretend like everything's okay, that it's not going to happen. But let me tell you, friends, death is not natural. Some people will try to tell you that death is fine, just part of the human existence. No, that's total nonsense. Death is not natural. Death is unnatural. Death is a terrible thing. It is, it is not the way it's supposed to be. It, it's evidence that there's something wrong with this world. And I think we all know that. And I think that's why we're afraid. And that, my friends, is why Christianity and the gospel of Jesus Christ uniquely stands out. See, we believe that Jesus literally physically and bodily rose from the grave on Easter Sunday. And we believe the Lord in that dynamic effort conquered sin, the devil, and death on our behalf for those who place their faith in him. That's what Easter is all about. That's what we celebrate today. That means that our sins can be forgiven and the resurrection tells us that the the, the father was pleased with the sacrifice that was given because he was raised from the dead. That's the best news in all of the world right there. Death is not the end Now for the Christ follower, death is just the beginning. Death is not a wall for us. It's a door. And we go through the wardrobe and enter into Narnia. Death just means we get to be in the presence of God. We can plant our faith right there in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen. And it's not just that his spirit rose from the dead. And it's not just that his teachings rose from the dead. It's that his body rose from the dead. He is risen. He is risen. Christ is risen. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. Amen. Glory to God. He arose victorious from the dark domain, and he lives today with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Amen. But that's not the end of the story. There's a third tree. Pastor Bob, tell us about the tree of restoration. Thank you, Pastor Dave. As we, um, <clears throat> as we saw, uh, the Bible story begins with creation, and creation culminates in these two trees over here side by side in the garden, where God, which God creates for humanity. And instead of eating from the tree of life, Adam and Eve planted a tree of rejection in the world by choosing um, to rebel against God. They rejected God's rule and wisdom and re- rebelled against his good plan. They fell, and this led us to the need for this tree of redemption. But as Pastor Dave said, there's another part of the story. And it's the good part. It's the point that Easter points to. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we just heard, is the reversal of all the bad things in life. Because of resurrection, the evil one, the serpent, the deceiver, the father of lies, Satan himself, he is defeated. And he will no longer have power. Satan comes, yes, to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus on the cross thwarted his attack. Jesus came to heal and to give joy and to build his kingdom. And right now, we're living between this tree of redemption and a tree of restoration. Because as we mentioned before, that tree of life that was part of the garden, it shows back up again in the future. In the book of Revelation, the Bible begins in the garden, but it ends in the city. And in the middle of the city is what? There's the tree of life again. It points towards the future. It points towards the restoration that we are guaranteed. And in between the tree of redemption, the tree of restoration, we're living in what the Bible calls the last days. Now, when I use that phrase, most people think the end of the world is coming. And and maybe it is. Um, I'm not one to predict the day or the hour. Eventually, it will come. But I do love to focus on the end of the story because Jesus is coming back. The Bible tells us he's going to ride to our rescue on a white horse He's going to once and for all throw Satan into the lake of fire. He's going to judge the living and the dead, bringing perfect justice to a world. He's going to make all things right. Easter points to this reality. In fact, Easter makes this future possible. And so the end of the story brings us full circle in Revelation chapter 22. The Bible begins again in the garden, but it ends in the city where Jesus rules forever. And, and again, in the center of the city is what? It's that beautiful tree telling the story, offering the promise that it's going to be all right. The Apostle John writes this. He says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now notice again, if you go back and read the Genesis account, there was a river, rivers flowing into the garden, providing life to all the plants. And here again, God provides all the water we need as, as this life flows from his throne. Verse 2 says this, it flowed down the center of the main street, and on each side of the river grew a tree, a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. So the river flows down the center of the city in the city square. And notice again, it says there was a tree on either side of the river, which might sound odd because you would say, well, why is there two trees replacing the one tree in the garden? But it's actually a play on words. It's to show us that the tree has grown larger, showing that there's an even, there's an even better one than the one that was in Genesis 2.9. And it's producing crops. It's producing all that we need. And moreover, the leaves are used as medicine to heal the nations. Now, I don't know about you, but those words are extra poignant today. Doesn't our nation, doesn't our world need some healing after all we've been through? This tree offers the promise of restoration for all that was lost. Easter points to that moment. What did Easter do? Look at verse 3. It says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. On the cross, Jesus reversed the curse of Genesis 3. But Jesus uprooted that tree of rejection, and he's going to plant that tree of restoration. All is going to be right. He's going to rule. Darkness is going to be gone. In fact, look at the last verse. It says this, and, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Can you imagine a world where there's no darkness? This is the promise of Easter. 
The stone is rolled away. Death is defeated. The darkness has left. Pain is gone. Now there's only light. And we will, be, and we will reign with our resurrected king. The promise of living in God's presence will be fully realized in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, you might be sitting here today saying, or you're listening at home or listening later on, and you're, and you're saying, oh, that's a nice story, <clears throat> but it can't possibly be true. I've lived through too much pain and hardship. I, I come to church on Easter, and it makes me feel good, but this, this new heavens and the new earth, I mean, come on. Well, we are here today to tell you that it is true. The stories are true. Jesus of Nazareth was a real person who did go to the cross, Jesus of Nazareth did rise from the dead. Jesus of Nazareth will come back and he will restore the world. In fact, he's going to make it better than it was. He went through death to bring us life. Now the question is, why does it matter? Why does it matter? And the whole story has meant a whole lot more to me over the last year because I mentioned earlier in the message, I told you about my son and what he's walked through shows us, yes, the reality of the fall in our lives, but it also shows us the reality of John 10.10. It's very real. There's a thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. And for almost a year, we watched him walk through these painful moments I told you about. We had promises of discharges that were shattered by some new complication that arose, and we had many nights of crying and thinking, maybe he's, maybe he's just not ever going to come home. We felt the reality of the fall, we felt the curse of the tree of redemption. We longed for the tree of redemption. And we hoped for that tree of restoration to be a reality. And two weeks ago, just in time for Easter, we did get word that he could come home. And this time it felt different because our child, who had walked through the valley of the shadow of death, did make it home on April the 4th. And in preparation for that day, my wife had a friend make our whole family these shirts that just said, not today, Satan. And we actually gathered for the very first time in a room together as a family, in one room, and we rejoiced at, at the redemption story that God is weaving into our lives. I mean, we're just at one point in that story. And what's so cool is that when somebody leaves the children's hospital in Philadelphia after they've been there for a really long time, all the nurses and the doctors and the therapists who've cared for that person for that period of time get together for something called a clap out. And it was just a really moving experience, and I just want to show you a video of that. And this is what it looked like. Watch this.
So if you couldn't hear at the end, what they do is they give you a star that you put up on a board, and then they let you ring a bell. And my oldest was really excited. She got to go do that. But, you know, I, I look at this picture right here, and this is all the people that, that gathered for that, and I think this is a picture of how God works in the world. That, yes, Josiah has experienced the effects of the fall, but God has used it to impact people's lives. And who knows how many people and how, in this picture were impacted by him and by his story, challenged by his story. Because his story is one of redemption, and one day, in whatever form that looks like, restoration, life. Because as we said, the enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come. The reason I've come is to give life and give it to the full. And so on the cross, Jesus went through immense pain so that you and I could have the Zoe life he promises. On the cross, Jesus with his last breath shouted, not today, Satan. You will no longer kill You will no longer steal. You will no longer destroy. In fact, one day in the future, when Jesus comes back riding on that white horse, he's going to be shouting, never again, Satan. Your reign is over. You will no longer steal and kill and destroy because you will be destroyed. And friends, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Easter, Satan's fate was sealed. Just like when my son left the hospital On the day that Jesus rose from the dead, a symbolic bell rang in heaven. And all the heavenly hosts gathered together and just shouted, victory. Victory. Victory! Yes! Belongs to our God both now and in the future when he will come back and he will sit on his throne and be with his people. And the leaves of that tree of restoration will heal this world. As J.R.R. Tolkien beautifully said, everything sad is going to become untrue. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be peace, there will be light. We will be with God. And for my son and for all of us, if you know Christ, new resurrected bodies. Because the planter of the tree of life will provide all of our needs. And that is not just the end of the story It is the beginning of forever. Pastor Dave, would you come and close us out? Amen. In a moment, the worship team is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song. And as they do, let me just close our message today by asking this question. How do we live between these two trees? Uh, The answer is we live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Have you had a moment in your life where you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and your personal Lord? Each of us has to come to God individually. Uh, It's not a group decision. Each of us has to come in a very personal way. Uh, We're not a Christian because our mom was a Christian or because our dad was a Christian. Each of us have to come and pray that prayer of salvation to God for ourselves. So if you had that moment in your life where you've said, today is the day where I want to submit my life to Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. If you'd like to do that, we want to lead you in that prayer. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to all participate in that prayer with you. And for some of us, by praying this prayer, this is just a reminder of that day when you first placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful reminder. We all need that reminder on Easter. And for others of you, this is a reminder that you need to come back home in the family of God. And he welcomes you back with his deep love. Come on back. And for some of you, maybe this is the first time you prayed a prayer like this and actually meant it from the heart. But wherever you find yourself in the spiritual life, as we live between these two trees, this is that prayer that we pray 
for our God who died on that tree of redemption. So I'm going to invite us to all stand at this time and let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes together as we pray this prayer and give us an opportunity to speak to our Father together. So if you'll repeat after me, the whole room will pray this together saying, Heavenly Father, I come to you with a humble heart. I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, to forgive me, to rise again from the dead, and to give me eternal life. I believe in you. I commit to follow you as my Lord and as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. You heard about that clap out just a moment. Can we have a clap out for those who may have just prayed that prayer for the first time? If you've placed your trust in Christ today, we want to hear from you. Contact myself or Pastor Bob. Tell somebody that you made that decision, and let's pray together, all of us here in this place. Father, we've gathered here to take comfort in the truth of your resurrection, uh, your son's resurrection. So we thank you, God, for sending your son. Uh, We praise you, Lord. And in our hearts... Uh, We look forward to the day where we will gather around King Jesus and we will crown you Lord of all. It's for Christ's sake and for his reputation we pray. And everyone said, Amen. amen. Let's worship.